Hello, dear friends, and welcome to the Great Day Podcast. I'm your friend and host, Mayor Kay. I hope your day so far is going well, and I want to thank you for tuning in to the podcast. I truly hope this podcast episode and the many others that you have yet to listen to, or you have listened to already thus far, have brought some value, some insight into your life, into existing, into bringing a laugh or a smile or bringing something meaningful, some insight that you perhaps didn't know about before or shed some light into your life. And uh, I'm really excited and I truly believe that this podcast in particular will do just that for you. And before we jump into that, I want to give a big shout out to samemazeltov.com, a platform where you can reach out to your favorite influencer, uh, thought leader, rabbi, comedian in the Jewish world. And you could get them to give a shout out for an anniversary, uh, birthday, some special occasion. And you could customize a message, have them say it, and you can send it to your best friend, to your family member who would appreciate it greatly. Uh, percentage of every transaction goes to a charity of the month. So that's pretty cool too. You could check out the list of people on the website at saymazeltov.com. Thank you so much. Now, also another really special uh, supporter of the podcast. Well, they're actually not really giving us anything, but it's we want to support them because they are just awesome. And they are dailygiving.org. And that's a one-stop shop for you to donate $1 a day, just $1 a day. And it goes to a charity of that day. They've already given $6,500 a day, every single day, over $6,500 a day, over $2.5 million a year to charity. It's a simple way for you to give tzedakah every single day. They're totally transparent. You know exactly how much and where it's going to. And they don't take a dime. They don't take a dollar at all. Everything goes straight to the Sadaka organization. So check out dailygiving.org. Let them know Mayor K sent you. And uh, go ahead and sign up to give $1 a day to charity. So that being said, let's jump right into the podcast with Rev. Daniel Katz. Rev. Daniel Katz is a sought-out international speaker and teacher, a former award-winning filmmaker and theater director in Australia. You see, Rev. Daniel's open and compassionate teachings have been a catalyst for changing lives of thousands of people worldwide. His mission is to reveal the unity amongst different paths of Torah in order to allow all Jews to experience spiritual depth, beauty, and transformative power. I have come across Rev. Daniel uh, uh, mid-lockdown, and he was... uh, speaking with Ellie Nash, and it was an incredible conversation. I got to deep dive and see what he was up to and his teachings, though he's pulling from deep, deep capitalistic, Hasidic, you know, teachers from over the past hundreds of years, he finds a way to bring it down in a simple manner in which I could understand it. And that's pretty simple, I gotta say. It's it's quite incredible. And he's also, I'm, I'm big into meditation and mindfulness, and he really ties in our own Jewish heritage and and teachings all there it's all there you don't have to look anywhere else it's all from there and he finds a way to bring it out find its source and to teach it in a way that we could i could i could relate to and go a little bit deeper than some other ways that i've been uh practicing so actually in this podcast episode in the last 10 minutes or so we do a meditation uh which you could all join along of course and i i found that to be quite uh, quite special. But along the way, uh, there was so much to talk about. I didn't hit every single topic, uh, but we did cover a whole lot. And I do hope that you find some value in this conversation with Rev. Daniel Katz.
Uh, with, uh, Rob Daniel Katz, it's an honor and a privilege to have you on the podcast. Um, thank you so much for being here. May K, what an honor it is and a joy it is. You give so much energy and light and joy to people and it's awesome to spend an hour with you, however long we're going to get to chat today. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you're, a, you're, you're, you're a capitalistic master um, and, and, and gone in your own journey in, in incredible ways. I'm curious to know, as a, as a mystic like yourself, who's your favorite mystic from, from the Jewish tradition? Wow. I would certainly not consider myself a Kabbalistic master, and I'm confident no Kabbalistic master would consider me a Kabbalistic master. I consider myself like you, a, a seeker, and I'm drawn deeply to the Kabbalistic masters. Um, who draws me? So I have a kind of little uh, collective of souls that deeply inspire me. You know, definitely mm. the Baal Shem Tov is up there. I, I think he was, you know, the, the first great revolutionary in the last 2000 years that really kind of brought heaven down to earth and has created a path for, for every spiritual seeker to, to understand consciousness and understand reality in a, in a really way that is truly game-changing. So the Baal Shem Tov mm -hmm. has to be up there. You know, he has some of his, his greatest students or students of students, whether it's, it's the, the Balatanya Shnezaman of Liada, you have a son also named after him. Uh, Rebbe oh. Nachman of Breslov is extraordinary, the Piazetsna Rebbe. The Rebbe Rav Cook, Rav Cook, I, I think is is kind of the last Rebbe, for, for, as far as I'm concerned, before Mashiach gets here. Who really, I think Rav Cook was so far ahead of his time. He's still ahead of his time, but I think mm -hmm. we're, we're we're starting to catch up. His vision of of the integration of art, of creativity, of of secular and religious is, you know, it's, it really along the lines of the Vilna Gaon, who's also a spiritual master and had wow. incredible vision of what the future was going to be. So my path is is. The path of my soul as a, is an path. Yeah, I'm sorry. As, as, a, as a Chabad guy, I'm like, where's the Rebbe in all this? Where's the Rebbe in all where's this? Where's the Rebbe? Like, hey, 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 hey. No, no. It was going in the back of my mind. Wait, you have to know who you're talking to here. So the Rebbe... No, no, no. So we, we can talk about it. The Rebbe for me is, is an unbelievable year and unbelievable. There's not so many leaders in our generation, right? And the Rebbe was a, a true leader. I, I kind of feel like the Rebbe's gift for the generation was was in a post-Holocaust reality where there was no foundation at all, was to reboot the foundation. And, and what Chabad has done is an un, um, just an unprecedented level. Um, for my path in, um, I spent a lot of time learning whether it was... Uh, whether it was the Rebbe Rashab, who I adore as one of my favorites and that kind of thing. But I was just never so much around, you know, the exposure. I wasn't brought up in 770. I just took a different path through it. So sure. I have tremendous admiration for Chabad. Um, but, you know, it's just not for me, like Rav Cook kind of gave me a map to understand the modern reality in that mm -hmm. kind of sense. And the Baal Shem Tav or the Vilna Gaon gave me a historical spiritual reality. Rebbe Nachman opens up the inner world as the Piazetsna does on unbelievable levels. So, you know, behind them are the great mystics of the Uriah Kadash, of Rebbe Shimon Bar Yochai, et cetera. Um, but as I was gonna say, for me, the, the greatest path and the path that speaks so much to my soul is, is the integrative path. Like I adore Chabad, but I could never only be Chabad. I adore Rebbe Nachman, I could never be that. For me, it's about seeing to be a, a door liquid, as the mystics called it, is to find all the goodness in all the different paths. 
to quote the truth wherever we find it, right? And mm -hmm. to try and see the, the greater system, the meta system behind all the spiritual masters. And I believe that the final generation, which the mystics say we are, it, it's, it's the generation of not being one thing excluding the other, but to re reintegrate all the best possible elements into something truly extraordinary. And that's, that's really what speaks to me on the deepest level. You know, I, I agree with you 100% in that regard, but then there's a little voice inside me that says, how are you not just picking and choosing what works for you? Where's that sacrifice when it comes to like sticking to one path? Because like when you start choosing and picking from different like teachings and backgrounds and traditions and, and, um, and how did you go about practicing Judaism? And it's like, oh, I'll take this on because I like this, but then not follow that rule because, and I'll jump to this next act. Or how do you, how do you answer that kind of, Sure. So again, I, I, as we were talking about before the cameras were rolling, I don't know who the audience is and there's different ways to address that for different audiences. But I, I believe that there's a kind of bottom down and it's kind of top down and bottom up approach, meaning I always used to I, I always used to feel and still feel about the new age world that there's tremendous wisdom and insight and, and practice available in that kind of new age spiritual world. But the problem is, as you said, I, I one of my closest friends growing up and I remember in his study, he had like a picture of, of this great American Indian leader. Um, this gorgeous quote about nature. And he had a picture of the Dalai Lama and he, some Swami from India. And they were all like incredible teachers. And I, I said to him one time, it was a little, we got into a, a warm hearted debate, if you will. Yeah. And, and I said, you know, really by, 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 I said, which one is your teacher? And he said, all of them. I said, by making all of them your teacher, you're truly making none of them your teacher because none of them took had a path of picking and choosing a smorgasbord approach to spirituality all of them had the the dedication to follow one path with integrity because I, just first i'm strengthening your question what, yeah. what when you pick and choose what you do is you only select the things you're comfortable with but all spiritual growth any path will tell you that all spiritual growth the definition is to grow beyond yourself Right. Uh, beyond your animalistic desires, beyond your ego perception of reality. And when we follow a path with depth and, uh, and, and great integrity and sacrifice, we have to be willing to see the world outside what a small minded beginning self, ego self begins. So this is really supporting your argument. So yeah. but but what, what I what I believe I, I'd like to think I'm doing on a good day is a kind of top down model. I, I believe from talking from a point of, of Torah spirituality, when you bring yourself to great spiritual practice, to Torah observance, to, to what we call the Shulchan Aruch, the foundations of our tradition, the foundations of philosophy, of understanding, I think then you've got a very firm foundation of depth of commitment of of I think the foundation is the key word. And then what you're trying to do, you're not picking between this apple on the tree or this apple at the tree. You're really coming from the roots up. You're really trying to understand what as an expression of, of divinity in the world, of expression of the, the depth of Torah, the, the most deepest part of Torah, then, then what was the Baal Shem Tov's revelation and gift? What was Rebbe Nachman's revelation of gift? What was the, the Alter Rebbe's revelation and gift? So mm. what you're trying to do, rather than just picking and choosing, you're trying to see in a deeper way how these are all deeper expressions of, 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 of a deeper heart, of a deeper soul, of the, of the, of the mind of God, if you will. And, mm -hmm. and that's what interests me. So it's not like I'm picking and choosing as much as I've, I've picked and chosen the core. And now I'm celebrating and appreciating the, the value of different contributions. Mm. Okay, beautifully said. Now, 
I mean, we, you did mention a couple of like these other type of spiritual leaders, different gurus of the world. I, I you know, I'm a quote guy. I, I love, you know, I love to pull from different sources. I'm on my own spiritual journey. I'm a seeker as well. And starting to realize that as I get older, like, oh, that's why I'm, I'm so curious and I'm trying to find and find answers. And, uh, and I find a lot of inspiration from these different quotes from, you know, the, uh, from, from the, from the Buddha and you find all this like, and, and from different sadhus in, in India and it's all quite wonderful. Is it, do you find is it, is it wrong to be inspired, to feel inspired by, by these spiritual leaders? Is it, is it something wrong with me? Is it, is it, you know, I, oh, I think someone in my background would say uh, a teacher or someone older than me, like, oh, you can find this all in, in Hasidus. Like, why do you have to go there? Or, but the fact is, like, it's so watered down and so new age and it sounds so great. Um, is it bad? Am I pulling from the, from the, like, an, an evil dark side that's just, you know, that's sort of masked in goodness? Sure. Okay. So th these are intense questions. So we're going deeper than I thought you'd go, but this is, this is fantastic. Let's have a meeting <laughs> conversation together. Fine. Let's, let's go all in. So, First of all, let, let's make a distinction in the kind of the question, because you set up the question to say, you know, why can't I quote, bring a quote from the Buddha? Why can't I bring a quote from the Dalai Lama? And then, sure. then, then the second part of the question, we're talking about why do I need to go to Buddhism? Don't I have all of that in the Hasidus? So let's make a distinction between a quote. So I actually be believe as the Baal Shem Tov teaches, as the Riyakudash teaches, there's an idea of Nitsosis of sparks, which means in any system around the world of spiritual any spiritual system, there's probably truth that you could find in a line, truth that you could find in a practice. And we don't need to say, no, it's not, it's not truth because a guy with a kippah didn't say that, because a guy with a beard didn't say that. That's ridiculous. Hashem, Malech Kol Ha'aretz Kavodoi, Hashem is in, is in all of the world and has points of revelation in the whole world. So if I see from Eckhart Tolle or the Dalai Lama or Joe Dispenza, yeah. something which is true, then my first response is great, acknowledge it, right? Number one. Two is the idea of finding sparks, of finding light everywhere. In, in, the, in the mystical tradition, it always has to come with a very important line. It's called birurim. And birurim roughly translates as making distinctions. Just because I see truth somewhere, I don't have to assume that everything that's said is true. People often ask me, Rabbi Katz, is it okay to read if I'm, you know, is it okay to read Jod um, Eckhart Tolle? Because Eckhart Tolle's spiritual, is that aligned with Hasidus? So I say it depends whether you have a brain screwed on your head. Right, and a brain screwed yeah. on your head is you should read it like anything you read, which is, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it accurate? And there's a lot of beautiful things, for example, in the power of now, which literally are word for word Hasidus. And more than being word for word for Hasidus, if you go into a modern Israeli bookshop and you find the Hebrew translation of Eckhart Tolle and you ripped out that page and you showed it to a Hasidic person, they would go, oh, which, which safe is this from? Is this the Baal Shem Tov? Who are you quoting? It's literally. Wow. But that doesn't mean that everything in that world is, is right, or everything in that book is good. So this is what's called by the mystics the Eitzadas Tovara, right? And which means the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but the mystics say the tree that combines good and evil. And, and evil, forget about the religious connotations, but what we mean is that which is true and accurate, and that which is false and a distortion. So mm -hmm. I believe, and, and the Vilna Gaon was into this, and the lesson was into this, that the, the, the Vilna Gaon said really astonishing things, but one of the, the secrets he brings is from the Zohar, is that in, in, the, in the final generation before the ultimate revelation of consciousness for the whole of the world, that what the, the goal of a Torah Jew to do is to understand Torah, is to immerse in the mystical teachings of Torah and the mystical experience of Torah, and then go through the science and the secular wisdom of the day 
and and make a shidduch, if you will, be a matchmaker, finds where in those vessels, in the secular wisdom, where they are starting to understand truth, for example, quantum mechanics, for example, the Big Bang, you know, these are things that were predicted mm. by Torah thousands of years in advance, and science themselves understanding them today. Secular psychology today and the most cutting edge trauma therapies are really word by word predictive of things that Baal Shem Tov said hundreds of years ago. So not only can we is it a good idea to kind of notice a comparison? It's an imperative to, to bridge the worlds and to see how that knowledge that science is grasping in a tangible way is actually a wisdom of the Torah that was speaking about in a prophetic way. And the mystics actually say that Mashiach will come, the final revelation of the world will come when the Kabbalistic wisdom and the scientific wisdom um, actually meet and integrate and, and fulfill each other and be mashlam each other and perfect each other. So in that sense, not only is it not a bad thing to do when it's done in the right way, it's an incredibly beautiful and important thing to do. The danger is, the danger is, is when I think that Buddhist meditation is the only path of meditation and I don't realize that Torah has meditation and Torah actually has a more advanced, sophisticated, profound, game-changing model of meditation and understanding of consciousness than Buddhism. So the challenge is when, when we are ignorant of our own tradition, and because of our exposure into exile, we're only exposed to other things. And we don't have the knowledge and the consciousness to make those distinctions. So what happens is we, 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 by exposing ourselves to those things, we get confused and then we get lost and then we get overwhelmed with them. We, we, have, we, have, a, we have a program where we teach Jewish meditation around the world. Thank God to tens of thousands of people each year. And many times people say, I was involved with Buddhist meditation. I involved TM as a great example. And it yeah. really helped me That's to a degree, right? But, but there were a lot of things in it I wasn't happy with. There were things I found out the name, they told me it was a neutral name, but I found out it was, you know, a Sanskrit name for God. Or it, I, I was a block and mindfulness that wasn't working for me. And I always thought I was broken. And then when they learn part of the, the Torah tradition, the mystical tradition, they, they suddenly realize, wow, you know, that includes the best of TM, it rejects the worst of TM, and it takes it to a whole other level. Wow, in mindfulness, I could never get past the first point, but now I understand through consciousness that it was actually my demureness in the way, and here's a technique to solve that, and suddenly I can get to a mindful state in, in, in seconds where I couldn't get years before. So the problem is when a, a soul like ours gets lost and confused in that world, and doesn't have the context and the consciousness to go through it, that's when mm. it becomes a challenge. So some people preach the doctrine of rejection of the secular or external and only the Torah. And some people say, oh, uh, some people say only the secular, right? And I don't want the Torah. But I think the secret is when you understand the depth of Torah and Kabbalah and Chassidus, then it should open us up to be able to elevate and integrate the rest of everything else. And I think that's the best of all worlds, which is, which is extraordinary. Fair enough. I, I, so what would you say, because you, you mentioned different paths of meditation. I, for myself, over the past, I would say two years, have delved a bit more into meditation. I'm still only at the 15-minute mark, uh, but where I try to bring it to my daily practice. And I'm no shame to say I use Headspace, you know, the apps that like, sort of like guide you, semi-guide you. And, you know, honestly, I don't, it doesn't feel like they're stemmed in any type of religion. Um, but, it, it, you know, it's just sort of holding your breath, focusing on breath and visualizing and stuff, and stuff like that. But is there a is there a specific, you know, technique or rooted, different roots that 
difference between the meditation that you, you see in Judaism and the ones that are pulled from, I guess, the most well-known, or I think you think of Buddha, Buddhist, you think of meditation, you think of Buddhism, right? That's like, just, it coincides with each other. So what would you say the differences yes. are there? Yeah, fantastic branding. And like when I think of, and honestly, when I think of meditation, and I think of, let's say, someone saying, oh, I'll do Jewish meditation. I'm like, okay, you're, you're most probably pulling it from like Jewish, if I'm sorry, from Buddhist meditation. From and Buddhist meditation. Jewish, you know, like making, making it Jewish. Like, That's what a lot of people do, which is heartbreaking. Right. Right. So I'm, that's what I'm saying. It's like, so let me go to the source or like, let me just like do it my own way or what, what are the differences? And if someone wanted to go ahead and start learning meditation in, in a Jewish perspective, where could they go and do that? Well, but before I answer these great questions, let me ask you a question for a second. What's the headspace experience like for you? What have the meditations been like for you? What's the result been? It's a great, so meditation has been fantastic for me in the regard, because I, it has been a process. I always try to search for the perfect meditation. I, I was like, oh, let me get the perfect meditation. And then I'll get upset at myself because I get distracted every couple seconds. I forget my breath. And, and then until finally, um, um, actually a mutual friend of ours, Ellie Nash, um, mentioned, yeah, uh, he says, hi, I told him we were about to do this. Um, he's like, Mary, the whole point is not to like, is to like have a perfect meditation. It's obviously the, it's the skill set of realizing, wait, I'm not meditating, I've distracted myself, let me go back and refocus myself. And there's like that very, you know, it's all about coming back, coming back to the breath, refocusing yourself, and then you can apply it to your day-to-day -day life when I go down certain rabbit holes. My mind's always moving ahead, it's moving and flying and going here and there. The experience from that I've had, and what it, well, the, the benefits that's brought to me is that it's able to help me to force me to slow down. It gives me the opportunity mm -hmm. to take 10 minutes out of the day, slow down, realign myself. And even if I had a, a busy mind, the monkey mind during the 10 minutes, I still did it. And I still pause and I'm still, and there's always a little sort of shift. I may still have anxiety after my 10 minute meditation, but there was a pause or at least I tried. And it, it sort of gives me some sort of confidence to like realize I'm, I'm still alive and okay. I'm, I didn't die from whatever pain or discomfort I was feeling 10 minutes ago. And like I could maybe approach right. it or, or take a next action. So for me, it's the next right action. If I get stuck, I'm like, okay, let me just drop everything. Let me do this and, and see what comes so from Let me follow through on this question for a second. You're telling me, which is not a bad thing, the external results, right? So I, I'm a bit more grounded myself. I'm able to get back into the world of action, right? A little less tumultuous, so to speak, a little monkey mind. What happens in the internal world? Um, in the internal world, the eternal world as well. Um, do you feel illuminated? Do you feel focused during the meditation? Is it more like trying to battle to stick to the meditation and not get distracted? Are you blowing out of your body with light and energy? What, what's the <laughs> deeply internal mechanism like for you, experience like for you? It's it's a struggle. It's It's been a struggle through it all. Yeah, totally. It's, it's, it's hard to concentrate. I'm trying to focus on it. I try to breathe into it. Sometimes I fall into a certain bliss. Uh, but and I feel like Yes, I, from what I understand, there's a definitely a deeper depth to meditation that I haven't really cracked yet. And um, okay, I, I, I was gonna invest. I was gonna invest money. I was gonna say. I was gonna bet money that that was the result you were gonna say. I practiced Buddhist meditation for many years, for many years. And besides one ten-day ashram experience, which was supernatural, incredible, most of the time it was a struggle. And I, I preach meditation, I read about meditation, I practice meditation, but what it was about is 15, 20, 30 minutes, battling with my thoughts, battling with my thoughts, and then sometimes getting a little calm, but most of the time not. 
and always being told you have to hold in there. It's the beginner's mind. It's the monkey mind. It's all these kind of justifications. And what I can tell you now, Mayor, is there's a problem with the technology. The, the, this secularized Buddhist technology, which is really by definition what it is, is a very low level technology. And I'm not saying that to say, you know, I, I, I'm not, my style is not to say, well, we're Jewish and ours is better and that kind of stuff. But when you work with thousands of people, the questions I always ask all the time is, and, and tell me about this experience. When I meet with religious Jews and they're talking about prayer and I, I can give a deep Kabbalistic class about the depth of prayer, but at the end of the day, when you open up a prayer book three times a day, Mayor, what kind of experience is that for you? Because it's supposed to be a direct communion and connection with Hashem, with the divine, with the source. And if it's mumbling through a thousand words because you have an obligation and you're bored and you're frustrated, so that mitzvah is not serving you. And I don't believe we're serving the mitzvah. So, so what's interesting to me is, is people are doing headspace and some people tell me they feel calm and more connected, but a lot of people say, you know, I'm doing it and I'm fighting and I'm fighting and there's a benefit to that and I'm, and I'm flexing the muscles. What we found is when, when I spent like 10 years going through all the Kabbalistic Hasidic sources of meditation and trying to systemize that, what I found is it's a really deep technology of the mind. It's a really deep wisdom in the mind. And when I say deep, I don't just mean theoretically, philosophically deep, which it profoundly is. I mean, I mean the technology is more effective. Right, It can move you into a deeper state much faster and you can maintain that state much longer, even if you're a beginner mind, even if you have an overwhelming monkey mind. In fact, it asks a better question. Why do we have a monkey mind? Everything is full of, of Hashem, of light. What is the monkey mind? We don't say we, we're trying to eliminate the monkey mind. We say that monkey mind is actually a gift of tremendous energy. And if you actually know how it's structured and works, you can, you can turn it into the part of your mind that helps you focus tremendously. There's one, one technique I use that people with ADHD suddenly find they have incredible concentration. And it's actually because we flip over the monkey mind because we understand the structure of how it works. So this is, this is one of the challenges is I, I believe that, as, we, as you were saying, Buddhism is synonymous with meditation in our generation. And actually the meditation we learn is a secularized version of Buddhism brought to the West by a bunch of Jews. And that, that is a historical fast. You can see all Bougies. the initiators of mindfulness, right? They're all Bujus. You know, if it's John Kabat-Zinn, if it's, it's, it's um, Ram Das, if it's uh, Sharon Salzberg, if it's Richard Davidson, if it's Daniel Goleman, right? They were all spiritually seeking with Jewish beautiful sensitivities. The Dalai Lama actually has a debate with his inner court. I don't know if you know this that he, his idea was to extract one of the meditation practices from Buddhism, uh, Tibetan Buddhism, give it to the West. And, and, and a lot of his inner court were very upset with that because they said, you've taken out the religious ethical elements of it. You've secularized it. For example, today in, in the US government, there's something called a, a mindful sniper, right? Because any snipers in the US army can kill people using mindfulness to improve, to improve what yeah. they do. So. So the, the idea is, but you, you've taken the core of it, the soul of it out. So the, the truth is that, that meditation is synonymous and sourced in mindfulness um, in Buddhism. And, and, and therefore, a lot of the axioms in the secular world, so like headspace is absolutely based on Buddhism, but they've secularized it. They've stripped out references to Buddhism to make it a help to the general public. So that sounds like a wonderful thing. And I believe it is. And I believe it makes a wonderful contribution. The challenge with it is that 
a lot of the axioms of consciousness are Buddhist axioms. And a lot of them also aren't true. I was actually at the Mind and Life Institute, which is founded by uh, the Dalai Lama and a bunch of um, cutting edge scientists in the 1990s and does a lot of the research of mindfulness. It's really brought it to America, the scientific research. Mm. And they actually had a small conference to, to hear a Jewish perspective and other religious perspectives. And one of the things that the head scientist said there, uh, her name is Willoughby Britton. You can look up her interesting work online. She said after I, I spent two days talking with her and giving a presentation on the Torah perspective, one of the things she said is that that a lot of a lot of the Buddhist past that she'd studied, she said all the scientists end up becoming Buddhist by default because that's what they're studying. And she said, but they have a certain response and a lot of the, the Buddhist systems, which kind of talks in a negative way about emotions or negates emotions or doesn't empower emotions. It's all about overcoming the emotion reality. And she said, for the first time when I was listening to the Torah mystics tradition th through the presentation, she was to realize not only is there a, a place for emotions, but they're ideal. We need our emotions. And in the meditations, we harness the emotions to achieve higher mindful states. And, and she said to me, so this is a non-Jewish scientist that she realizes one of the takeaways from, from the, the two day session we did was that how biased the scientific research into mindfulness has been to Buddhist axioms and how mm. there's so much other systems and approaches and wisdoms that may flip over some of the biggest axioms and paradigms that, that, that mindfulness has brought to the table and show us whole new possibilities. So I know I'm talking a long time and I want to get back to you, but when I hear people talking about headspace, I'm always like, tell me your experience. What does it offer? In brief, I've seen hundreds of authentic Jewish meditation techniques in countless, in countless texts from our incredible tradition. But I break them down into three primary levels or three primary functions. When people say, you know, what meditation should I do? I always say, what is your goal? Mm. Right? So there's right. three primary goals of meditation. There's more, but let's talk about three. Number one is mental mastery. Number two is emotional transformation. And number three is transcendent experience. So that, that's the first idea, which is mental mastery, whether it's calmness of the mind, focus, um, resilience, emotional control, increasing compassion, um, um, actually mental energy, stamina to be able to keep going during the day, to all these kind of things, reducing anxiety, et cetera. So that's mental mastery, number one. Number two is, is kind of inner emotional work, inner emotional release and healing, which is also a form of trauma therapy. You can bring up the pain, the doubt, anxiety, abandonment, vi victimhood, all these life experiences that we carry from this life and previous uh, lives as well. Um, there are many meditations that show you how to bring those things up, release them and heal them, um, including addiction, including, you know, pleasure, lust, ego, etc. And that's a lot of the inner work and the Torah world that's called Tikkun Amidus. The Vilna Gaon says that uh, the great Kabbalist that the purpose of life is to metakin Amidus, is to heal and transform our emotions, our desires, our habits. Okay, so the, 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 the first is the mental mastery, which is called becoming a Baldas. The second is Tikkun Amidus, to do the inner emotional work. And the third is, the third is, you know, what we call um, Devekus, his Pashtas Agashmis, which is the transcendent experiences, which is to leave our body to go to that place of tremendous pleasure, of light, of the non-dual awareness, of mm. sensing that you're one in all things, 
Um, and, and above that is connected, a part of that is to be able to dialogue with angels or the, or the souls of ascended masters, Siddiquim, or to have direct connection with Source, with Hashem, to receive Ruach HaKodesh, divine inspiration or insights, to be able to heal others with energy, with hands, with all these kind of things. So when a person says, you know, what is the difference between Jewish meditation and mindfulness? So mindfulness is one small slither of, of, of a, a technique. Mindfulness is explicitly word for word in Torah sources for hundreds of years. Um, but, but it's only one thing like, you know, that the Windows uh, tagline used to be, where do you want to go today? So when people say, you know, what technique do you use? I always say, well, where do you want to go today? You want to go out of your body. You want to master your mind. You want to go deep into the inner work. And, and, and therefore there's a menu for each of those, th- each of those things about, you know, which technique works best for you. So, you know, if a person like you said, I'm using Headspace, I'd say, how's it going for you? And I'd also say, what's your goal? What, what are you yeah. really trying to achieve? And let's find a specific, specific technique that totally does that and takes that to the next level. Yeah, I always do find like people who are able to drop right in without any guidance, like as a superpower, like, man, they just go in, they clear out, they seem like they go through a transformation, they come out, they feel pressure. And I'm like, how do you go about doing that? It's a cool thing. Well, what, what if it's not a superpower? What if it's just advanced technology? You know, there's an Arthur C. Clarke that says, you know, technology is, what's that famous line? What, what we see as technology, and another tribe would say it's some sort of witchcraft or magic, etc. Right. Sure. I mean? sure. Imagine sure. I said I have psychic ability to, to talk to a person the other side of the world and we have a mind meld and we can see each other near each other. Today it's just called Zoom. So I, yeah. I, I believe that you know, I could show you a technique that you could drop right in really, really fast. And it's just, mm. it's a more sophisticated understanding of mind and a more sophisticated tradition of meditation. Yeah, I would love to drop into a meditation in, in, a, in a little bit, possibly we could talk about more about that. I mean, I'm curious to know sure. from your experience, because you're someone who came from the outside in, right? You're, you're someone who, um, well, previously, which I find very fascinating doing this little research I did, like you're, you, were, you were a filmmaker in Australia and you, uh, and you went on a journey and, uh, and as a seeker that you are, and you eventually found your way back to your Jewish tradition. Um, which I want to jump to uh, all about Guru Steve. But before we do, um, what, um, why do you think people in, in the Orthodox community, I'm maybe generalizing now, it's a, a bit of a shift, but why are we so afraid of meditation? Why are we so scared? You know, it's davening, saying words, doing action, doing mitzvahs. But when it comes to this idea of like meditation, we get freaked out. People think you're like, they start judging you. Is uh, you know, go to Tzvas, you know, or like, or like, you, you categorize Do, do you, you see as, a lot of that, Maya? Have you seen a lot of that? Have you experienced a lot of that? Maybe I'm projecting, but yeah, 100%. No, I, I do feel like there is a certain judgment that takes place and a certain fear because it's something that we, perhaps that we do not know. What we do not know, we get scared of. Fine. So first of all, let me say, just add a little nuance. There's a lot of people, we have thousands of people come around the world to our classes, to our seminars, to retreats and workshops and our online program. And a lot of them are religious. So let's be clear, I'm sure you'll agree with this. There's many people that are not just open for it in the religious world that are hungry for it, etc. So they're out there as well. There is for sure resistance, right? And I think it's made up of a number of factors. Um, and I don't want to be too controversial. I'm not sure who your target audience is. So I'll, I'll lay out a few of the initial responses. One is it's, it's deeply got to do with ignorance, okay? Um, meaning I've had... Torah Jews come to my classes or seminars and attack me in the middle of the class or seminar and say, this is just Buddhism, you're making this up, this is not in Torah sources. 
and I'll literally throw, you know, I have source books of like, you know, thick pages of sources after sources. And when you throw it at the table, their response is such shock, like they, because they just never imagined this was part of their tradition. And when they see it, some people still reject it. Like they say, one person said, you know, he's not even sure these sources are real. Did I just make them up and pretend they're a source? You know, because it's such a dramatic shift to what's taught in Beis Yaakov. It's such a dramatic shift to what's taught in the average yeshiva. And that's a problem with Beis Yaakov. It's a problem with yeshivas. It's the problem with the average shul. So the, the nature of exile uh, mayor is just that things get lost along the way, right? So the, the first thing is a degree of ignorance. And therefore, part of the work that we do in Elevation is writing and publishing and sharing sources and getting out there. So people go, oh, that's actually part of my tradition. So let's deal with the ignorance. The second is something which is more problematic than ignorance, which is something called fear. Um, and as painful it is to acknowledge, I believe that the Torah world today, with all its strength and all its goodness, is in a kind of traumatized fight and flight mode from literally 2,000 years of holocausts, of expulsions, of pogroms where, you know, what happens in the body when the body goes into fight and flight mode is, is the resources that our body uses for luxuries like digestion or free thinking, kind of that blood moves to the primary protection of like the heart of the primary elements of, of, of the body. Um, and I, I think that the total world today, unfortunately, one, and, and again, we're not talking about all the Torah world, but, but a core part of it is really focused on the protection of tradition, the protection of the most conservative tradition, where we've been slammed and smashed to pieces literally for 2000 years. And we've developed, like anyone that's been through trauma, certain degrees of defensiveness to the outside world protection. And, and part of that is, is necessary. I speak to anyone who's gone through trauma, that the fact that they've closed themselves off from the world has literally protected them and allowed the Torah world to survive with the tradition 2000 years later, which is unprecedented in, in history and astonishing. The downside yeah. is the person has to come out of trauma. We'll live in a, a generation where you and I can hang out in our exotic parts of the world and talk and this, we're exposed to so much wisdom in such a broad world. And, and I think the Torah world is, some of the Torah world with these challenges has a problem when they hear something new, when they hear something different, rather than, than confronting it with curiosity it's kind of confronted with rejection or with regret yeah. of aggression or something like that. So for, and, and, the, the, and, and, and that causes further ignorance, do you know what I mean? Rather than yes. saying, well, meditation, is that in our tradition? Let's look that up. Hey, it is fantastic. There's a distrust automatically, there's a closing off, and there's an ignorance that comes to that because then you can't develop, you can't grow. You know, I got into meditation, Jewish meditation, because I'd blown out of my body and had multiple spiritual experiences before Judaism and on my way to Judaism. So the second I opened up the Tanya, Maya, and I was reading through the Tanya, I was getting to chapter 18, 19, and he's talking about this non-dual awareness when you're at one with the cosmic reality. And I'm like, oh, I've done that before. And I remember the Chabad maybe saying, no, 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 that's only for Siddiquim. And I was like, he's like, you think you're at Sadiq? I was like, no, I don't think I'm at Sadiq, but I've done that. And that was very, very hard for him to understand, right? right? But when you've been there and you've experienced it, then you actually have the eyes to recognize it in the text. And, and the third point is, I, I think that in the Torah world, I, I think there's a sad and challenging thing that comes up where we reframe experiential ideas as theoretical ideas. We, we push them after only spiritual masters had that. We push them after we learn about 
I'll be careful what I say. I think also painfully this happens in the Chabad world as lot. We can learn a book like the Tanya, which is really a textbook on advanced um, Kabbalistic meditation, but we study it as a theoretical textbook. And nobody teaches us how to apply the experience to us. Most people that teach Tanya don't know how to perform the meditations in that book. And therefore they don't recognize the, the reference points of consciousness as something that we could actually do and practice right now. Mm-hmm. And the third point is that this all the language, when you get into Jewish meditation and Jewish transformation, and you understand the language that they use, you can't pick up a Hasidic book, a Kabbalistic work. You can't pick up the Shulchan Aruch, the book of Halacha, and not see that from beginning to end, literally from the first Halacha, is talking about levels of consciousness and connecting to divine names and experiencing light through. It's talking about that. But we somehow have become disconnected from the experiential application of the language and, and so used to speaking about it in a religious dogmatic way where we were reading the instruction manual, but we've forgotten how to apply that. And I think that has numbed us to, to the tr- true spiritual transformative energetic power of Torah. And I believe that so many that leave the Torah path today seeking for true spiritual experience is that because not their soul is, is, is misfiring, is because their soul is on, because they sense that a spiritual path should be electrifying, it should be illuminating, it should be experiential, it should be transformative, but they've never been taught that version of Torah. Even Hasidim, even people learning Hasidic texts have never been taught how to do it. And therefore, of course, the, it's not the, 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 a problem in their soul that's sending them off, it's the power of their soul, the yearning of their soul, which is sending them to find that. And, and I think in that sense, Balei Tshuva, the newly religious, um, are, are not like an accident, a cultural accident because of exile. I think that's Hashem's gift to the world that, that some of us he exposed to some of these paths and then he brought us back to Torah so we could re- rejuvenate, reawaken, reconstitute it, if you will, uh, because mm-hmm. we recognize what we saw. And I think that's a beautiful secret that we see a lot in our generation. Oh, 100%. Does it make sense what I'm saying, man? In a, in a very big way. I mean, I could totally agree with what you were saying in, in the sense of growing up, you know, with, with Tanya being taught, but like it's, it was all very far-fetched and, and only later on, and, and, you'll be, and you'll feel even more guilty and shameful because you will say, what do you mean? You quote something from, say, let's say, Buddhism or a quote from like one of these self-help books. Oh, it's in Chassidus, it's in Tanya. But like, wait a second. That's not what I was talking. You never told me that, Tanya. You never told me that, Tanya. What print was that? And it was never, it was never integrated or never shown in a very real way, which is unfortunate. But also, in my later life now, getting older, I'm starting to recognize and see the beautiful, uh, the power that that Hasidus has, and like, and it's like learning it for the very first time, to be honest. Uh, so it is, it is sort of a, a tragic, you know, outcome that we have access to it. However, it's not taught in a way that's that we could actually live with. So I, I agree the, with that the experience, 100%. I, I just want to pick up on a line you said, the learning it for the very first time. I, I, one of the, the greatest joys I have from teaching what I teach is when people that were Hasidic all their life, sometimes uh, Chabad friends, and they may or may not be connected to Chabad today. And then they come and do one of our uh, retreats or seminars. And one of the things that I teach is not just the experiences, but I teach the language that our sages use of that experience. How you just had that mindful experience, that's called Yeshiva Das, right? You've just blown into non-dual awareness and, and Tanagalaki, the divine connection to everything. So that's called Devekis, or that's called your Nefesh Elakis, right? Your divine soul. So what, one of the joys I get is people come back to me a year later, two years later, and they say, 
I after the seminar, I went back and learned Tanya. I went back and learned the Moenayim. Yeah. And for the first time, I get it. And that mm. for me is just, it's such a joy that there's two different ways you can learn a text. It's there in this practice. And if you can unlock the, 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 the experiential reference points, then suddenly something you knew as an interesting Devar Torah becomes a path to you know, real-time right now transcendence. And the fact that we never saw it on the page is just the definition of exile. That all oh, the revelation sorry. was there, but we lost our, our way to connect to it. Did, did you grow up Chabad? Did you grow up in... in yeah, in, yeah. Grew up Chabad, went through the system, Kran got Heitz. my smicha. Yeah, well, not Karan I grew up in Connecticut, but I went to Yeshiva, um, you know, throughout the whole world. And uh, and and I was taught all of it, you know, taught all of it, all of the different and Chassidus, and I just... I just never sort of connected with it. It was all very theological angels and, and ideas and connect, you know, and connection, but it was never brought down in a very practical practice and like, or mindfulness right. practice. And I, and it's, uh, and, and I, well now it's, it's maybe a better question would be is, uh, cause I was sort of earlier saying how like in general, why generalizing Orthodox maybe people who are Orthodox have a resistance towards meditation that why isn't, why isn't it the schooling system teaching teaching chassidus or teaching mindfulness in the way that could be brought to to young kids or teens uh young adults that if it's just part of our tradition why are we choosing the uh, all these other subjects but yet not the heart where it feels like the beating heart of of judaism a few years we're working on it okay lad lad habibi so we're getting there <laughs> I, I i i think the answer to this question is the answer to the previous question because there's an ignorance that it's it's in our tradition right. there's a fear about new things you know there's there's all these kind of challenges the the, the hope is um listen rahman boy just empowering your question the Talmud says hashem wants our heart the six constant mitzvahs you know are all these ideas of divine awareness of Ishtavas, of, of divine love, are all, are all the, the mitzvahs of the heart, the service of the heart. Prayer is called the Avodah the service of the heart. We, we teach in schools the meaning of the words in prayer, but we don't teach children how to enter their heart space and experience yeah. the light through those words. Now, I've actually gone to schools in Israel, in, in Toronto, in, in, in the U.S., I have students that are teaching elevation teachings, these Hasidic practices in, in Beis Yaakov's, and they've seen amazing results. So I think that we are in early days, the, early, the first 15 minutes, as you'd say, of, of, of a spiritual renaissance. I think schools and schools are more and more thinking this way. I think, you know, usually the excuse they use is, uh, you know, they're off the derech kids, the kids are you know, at risk kids. So we have to create curriculums for that in the same way that, you know, mo majority of, of Jews today don't believe in Torah mitzvahs, the secular Jews. So the Jewish outreach world has to do stupid, you know, stupid, crazy things like meditation for them. And it's usually at the at risk kids or the Jewish outreach, which is seen as so far gone that you can be more experimental there. And suddenly there's so much more impact that's made there. And people start going, well, you know, look at the joy and the love and the spiritual connection, the emotional health that's been great. Maybe we need that a little bit in the system. I think that's Hashem's way of kind of rebooting a system is, is there's certain areas which are kind of the, the playground where it's allowed to be explored. And then people start saying, hey, now we need to kind of mainstream that a little. Um, yeah. And I, I, I predict within the next five to 10 years, this will come back to many, many Jewish schools. 
um, you know, especially in the kind of moderate Haredi world. I think many schools will have this. My daughters go to a school, you know, about about half a kilometer, half a mile from Meshavim, like in that super ultra-Orthodox area. They learn incredible tools of emotional health you know, that somehow got into their schools, you know, they're taught about how to recognize different emotions and here are the emotions that have come up and how to label it. Um, you know, I teach this to my kids, but it's amazing to see, you know, the Pasha sheets coming before Shabbos and this is what the exercises that you're, you're doing. Wow. So I, I believe we're in the early phase, it's called an or makif, where it's starting to come back into the system. The reason it's not there is because these things have been lost. <clears throat> you know, one of the most controversial things I can tell you, Reb Mayer, is that I believe that Hasidus, as it's generally practiced today, is, I feel I'm going to get shechted by saying this, so, so I don't hand up my number yeah, yeah. to any of your good listeners. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 safe I, I, I believe, okay, safe zone, at least between you and me. You're not sharing this with anyone, right? I, I believe that the Hasidic, Hasidus practice today is almost the polar opposite to that which was the intent of the Baal Shem Tov. I think it's it's become the opposite to what his intent was to create, and 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 but the Baal Shem Tov predicted himself in his famous letter that toward in the final generation towards the final revelation that that all of the world would return to that primal Hasidic teaching of mastery of devakus, of uh, of of experiencing divinity in all things, and and I believe that there's there's a renaissance happening right now. And I'm very hopeful of what the years ahead hold. Very cool. Yeah, that's, that sounds amazing. And you're definitely on the forefront of, of bringing that back and integrating it back within within education for young and for old. And it, it's all, it's, it blows my mind to hear that you teach uh, your kids or and there are schools out there that are that are teaching kids about mindfulness or whether it's breathing exercises, mm-hmm. getting labeling emotions like that was all very distant, obscure. Like only later in my you know, late teens, maybe twenties, that I start, you know, realizing and recognizing my internal world and, and labeling it and, and finding space to like for all the mixed emotions that, that are taking place. And it's so, so important. There's no greater education you can give your child in their own mind than their own heart. When, when a child has emotional health, then, then they are their maximum soul and they have resilience to conquer anything in the world. What's an example? Intellect, What's an example? Of, like, what, what's that, as, 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 as mindfulness parenting, for example, what's something that you're doing that that you tap into that when you when you were dealing with it, with one of your children? I, I can give you a, th- a thousand examples. We have one child who he's a wonderful child. He has a lot of energy. He's not a great learner by nature. Do you know what I mean? So learning in school is hard. You know, he's like he's out there in the world. He's going to be doing awesome things, making viral videos, inspiring a thousand people. Right, he's an awesome kid. I, I love him. He's my but, kind of a kid. Yeah. Right. So awesome. So Shem should bless him. And uh, and he was coming home <clears throat> from from school from Cheder, um, with headaches. He started one day, another day, another day. He started saying, "I don't want to go to school. I get headaches. I get headaches all the time." That's heartbreaking, right? So you, the first thing you do is you go to the doctor, and the doctor says nothing wrong with him. But now we can put him in this machine and this kind of test and this kind of test. And I looked at my wife, and my wife looks at me, and she knows what I do for a living. And I said, okay, what I want him to do is next time he ha- has a headache, I want him to come and tell me. That's what he has to do. We have to catch it in the midst of the headache. Come and tell Tati. So I'm teaching a class and my, I hear someone knocking at the door and I'm doing this thing under the table. There's a door over there and I'm saying, like, showing, don't come in, don't come in. And I finish the class and he comes in and I, he says, I have a headache. He said, where did you get it? I get it in school. When do I always get it in school? Right? And, and we start going through it. 
So basically what I did is after one day, two days, three days, I started to say, do you see how when you have days off, you don't get a headache? Do you see when you're at school, you do get a headache? Why do you think that is? And as we process it together, I, I said, how do you feel while you're at school? You know, he says, good, I like school, right? So that, that's a person focusing on the external. He's not aware of his inner world. And what eight-year-old kid is aware of his inner world, nine-year-old kid? So I said, you know, uh, do you, which teachers do you like? Which teachers don't you like? How's the social scene, etc." And basically, I'm, I'm looking to get him to say a word. You know, you have to give kids a language of an inner emotional world. Otherwise, they're unable to be aware. Language empowers us with awareness. So I said, there's all different feelings, you know, like the thing he knows is lachas, which is pressure. So the long, the short version of the story is I got him to close his eyes and I showed him a technique to flood his, his mind with light and positive energy. And then I asked him to f think about what it was like in school, what was coming up. And then he felt a pressure in his body and I just got him to shine the light onto the pressure. And then he said, oh, the pressure's gone. I said, how's your headache? And he opened his eyes and just smiled. And he said, it's gone. Hmm. And wow, I did that with him two to three times. I said, look what the, the blessing that Hashem gave you. Look how powerful your das is, your mind is, that you can stop a headache. I said, I want you to keep doing that. We're going to keep doing that. And I bet your headaches will stop. He did that two or three more times. And he never had a headache again. Hmm. So wow. there's lots of stories I can tell you about this kind of stuff with my kids, with other kids kids but just as an example imagine you didn't know that as a parent and your child doesn't know that so what happens when the headaches increase the stress increases you go to a thousand doctors you put them in cat scans and all these kind of things you know school becomes associated with pain Do you know that creates more anxiety there's a giant feedback loop that happens to a tremendous amount of children. That happens to a tremendous amount of adults. Many children are, are beloved to that go off the derech. Some of many of them have had, excuse me, many of them have had trauma, have had bad things happen, but some of them haven't. And when you li listen to the story, it's because it's not because of one terrible thing. It's a thousand degrees of stress, of fr frustration, of anxiety, of judgment, of rejection yeah. that build and build and build. And it's not just yeah. about them not being religious or being secular. It's about they can't find their strength, their joy, their pleasure, their love. Calmness is not just about being calm. When you're anxious, you can't find your creativity. You can't find your, your, your perspective of reality. You, you're not aware of your gifts. You don't have resilience. You get overwhelmed every day rather than being strong-willed and determined every day. So when you give a person their heart, you give them their soul. When you give them their soul, you give them their life lived on their full potential. When we don't show that to kids, we can give all the religious rules and all the dogma and all the, all the Torah teachings, but they still don't have a relationship with Hashem. They don't even have a relationship with themselves. And that's the tragedy, but also the opportunity. Mm, that's man, that's so amazing. That's it's such a powerful um, exercise to have. But it, I can totally relate to that in the sense of we're we're the, the constant like it, not necessarily something traumatic has to happen in let's say school the school system, but just like having that unease and nowhere to put it, nowhere to talk about it, it just keeps on being associated with certain yeah. circumstances, people, places, or things. It just you, you build a certain resentment or distance you want to create. And, and just, let me check, let me just go down a different path because this is just not serving me. This hasn't been working out for me. Instead of having an outlet or a safe space to share or to label, to even discover that, even to question, like how scary, how scary do people get um, 
from like hearing, you know, a, a child's doubt, you know, and like, oh, speak to that, Robin, instead of like going in with them or talking it out and saying it's okay to have that, you know, um, I know Amuna that, face, I mean, it's, I yeah. just want to say, I do this thing every day when my kids come home from school, they say, tell me what happened. You know, I, I got great in this test, you know, because the, they always want to say what they did great in, but they don't want to say bad things. And there's also this religious risk. You don't want to speak lush and hard. I don't want to say bad things about this Rebbe. Don't want to say bad things about this person. But I'm always like, tell me, right? Tell me what I always say. What did you hate about today? Do you like learning to her? Yes, I love learning to her because they're told that they're supposed to love to her. I always, I always say, do you ever have days when you hate it? When I was in Yeshiva, there's a whole... You know, that's what I didn't want to learn to because you, you want to give permission for them to to acknowledge negativity, that, that I, we can have a discussion about that together. This Rebbe, I don't like this Rebbe yells at me. Wow. Thank you for telling me that. It's, it's this line of a safe space, because if they can share that with you, it doesn't just give permission that you can know and you can help them, but it allows them to share it with themselves, to be aware of the duality. And when yes. you, they don't have that then as you said, it just is a buildup of resentment. And what person won't protect themselves from resentment by choosing pleasure over pain, right? So you're gonna take a path which protects you from that, which is a psychologically healthy, normal thing to do for anybody. So, so we have to empower our children. By the way, the word for this is to become a baldas, which means a master of mind, a master of consciousness, which in involves emotional awareness, emotional. The Baal Shem Tov has a whole technique where he says when negative thoughts negative feelings come to you you have to tune into them you have to give them your attention you have to say what is the source of this emotion in the higher world you have to understand the essence of it you have to bring consciousness to it to release it and heal it right so this is just fundamental techniques in Hasidus that so many Hasidic people aren't even aware of today and that, that's a that's a, a tragedy but uh again an opportunity we, we can do better because we have the wisdom we have the approach we have the techniques right there in our tradition what would you say is the biggest threat to to people, to Jewish people today, to young people today? Um, and how would you go about healing that or, or getting past it? The biggest threat to young people, religious, secular, all the world? The good question. The Jewish yeah, world. no, Jewish. In, in the Jewish world, what would you say the biggest? Um, what, what would you yeah. say? Am I allowed to bounce questions back? Yeah, it's a conversation. I mean, I want it to be a conversation. It's great. I love that. Um, okay, I mean, it's it's a good question. I I live in you know I'm 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 the main actor of my own story. So like for me, I, I would just say from my experience, I I believe it it comes out to faith. I think a moon of faith. I think a lot of the neuroses and issues that if when I think about it, I can call out different types of you know I can get very specific. But I think when it comes down to it, for me, it's it's faith. I think also having faith when I have that real connection um, with a higher source, it, it helps solve and lessens anxiety, mental health. It solves a lot of my issues. It can help, oh, I need more money. No, because of faith. You know, everything sort of leads back to this one. What, what's your definition? Source. What's your definition of faith in, in this model? Amuna, um, Recognizing there's there's there a bigger there's a there is a it's a good question it's developing a personal relationship with with God where not necessarily any single other person in the world has the same type of relationship it's very unique um, that's um, that is in a process of work and it's a level of trust where I could still I I can still feel fear but I also know that I'm being held like I'm I'm protected. Um, mm -hmm. And that's what I have right now.
That's, I mean, I, I agree with you a thousand percent. The, you know, that word, as I understand it, is, is Amuna, is also the word Devakus. And, and the Zohar and, and even the Talmud uses the word faith, but the Baal says faith and Devakus are the same thing. Um, you know, Rabbi Nachman says that you can't love God until you can love yourself. And I think the depth, well, the psychological, you know, that's a great Facebook post and, and all these kind of things. But this, the psychological depth and spiritual depth in what he's saying is the place of self-love and the place of divine love is actually the same point of our consciousness. And I believe, you know, I used to teach Torah around the world to a lot of people and go into deep ideas and try and make an impact with people. And I, I think I'm a good teacher and I think what I taught was great Torah and deep Torah. But there was always a point that you just couldn't reach people. There was always a thousand people with problems that they'd say, wow, the information, the context was so helpful, but how do I get out of this or, or this, whatever struggles it is. And, and when I cracked the code of teaching Devakis, people how to access that state, how to access that inner light, then I realized well, I can never go back as a teacher because this is that missing link that we're all looking for, that we're all hungry for. When a person is going through lack of faith in themselves or fear or anxiety or dealing with money or dealing with health issues, when you give them a mechanism to access that light, that, that light of Amuna, the Baal says faith is not a belief. Faith is a state of consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. And when you show a person who's dealing with struggle how to find that place of a greater awareness of self, of goodness. You give them hope, you give them possibility. You know, as they walk through the valley, valley of death, you know, don't fear everything because Hashem is with you. That, that's not like a theory, that's a technique of how you can walk. And the, the Bausham Tov even taught people to, he says, go into the vacancy, go into that state. And he says, go to a shop and buy something or, you know, go call up a friend. And he says, practice maintaining that consciousness. And I believe that the, the, when a person finds how to access on a daily the infinite light within, then there's no challenge that their light is not greater than. And I believe that that, that deep awareness of self is, is, is the window and the portal to our awareness of the divine. When you sense mm. that light, when you sense that infinity, when you sense that higher wisdom, that inner guidance, then, then you have yourself when you ha and you have a shem. When, when, when you're detached from that, when you've never been taught how to access it, you're overcome with fear or doubt or confusion in life, which is where a lot of people live, then for sure you don't know a shem. Maybe you theoretically believe in a shem because someone else taught right. you to, but you, right. you don't have your true power. You don't have your true light. If you could give that to the youth of today, to any of today, I, I believe with all my heart, we would, we would change the, 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 the future of the generations. Oh, totally. So how do you, I mean, obviously it's more than just one meditation, but I think that's, yeah, I think that's, that's a really powerful, I mean, who, it's so hard, who, I don't think I've ever been taught to have a personal relationship with Hashem, like do these mitzvahs as Hashem wants, this is how you connect with him, you put on the film, you keep kosher, you ask, receive, making, you know, dear Rachtonim, you know, elevating the sparks, um, but there was something missing. It never felt personal. It felt like, you know, we just did it, right? It's going back to davening, you know, it's like, I don't really daven traditionally as I once did. I, I try to practice right now through the talking of just Heretic. words. Yeah, right. Yeah. Safe I space throw stones community. at you if I, if I could reach you. <laughs> and even a stoning button on Zoom. <laughs> right, yes? right. Um, and even coming out saying that, sharing that right now, which I, um, is, is something new to me, right? Because I want to keep it to myself, right? Because I, I, 
being judged, scared what people say. But the fact is, yes, even I think that sometimes. But I feel like I know there's a voice out there of people who perhaps feel the same way. They monotonous. They don't do it. They, you know, it's skill. They're about to dive in. You know, like it's it's very rushed. There's no personal. It just it's a checklist. And um, and more and more older, young, definitely people in my age range, a little younger, and, and even through conversations of people who are in their 50s, 60s, it's it's happening more and more. So it's it's like how does one go about building that, finding that personal connection with Hashem, with God, and not and not afraid to say that they're doing so. So imagine that, I was gonna say, imagine I'm married to a woman. I'm married to a woman, Baruch Hashem. So not much mm -hmm. imagination, but imagine like the rules of marriage where, you know, you have to say hello every morning. You have to say good night, good at night, right? You have to sleep in the same bedroom together. And as if Hissen gave you a list of rules of marriage and all those things are good, you should say good morning to your wife. She puts the dinner on the table. You should say thank you for, for that, right? So imagine someone give you a list and you read the list, okay? Get into bed, say good night. Get up every morning and say good morning, right? If some food is on the table, say thank you. So imagine I followed that list and that list. So I'm following a list of things to do. And those, the list of things to do are describing the, the physical things that a person would do if they were in a positive relationship, but you haven't actually created the relationship mm -hmm. because you forgot to look up at the person, right? I, I, I'm forgetting to dialogue with the person. I'm forgetting, I'm following the rules of relationship, but the rules aren't the relationship. The rules are the guide to the, to the most elevated expression of the relationship, but they're still the rules, they're still the guide. So in the Baal Shem Tov's language, in the language of the Jewish mystics, the purpose of mitzvahs is not to take us to higher consciousness. And that's a radical statement. The mitzvahs are expressions of higher consciousness. And that means in, in halacha, in the, the daily boring, you know, Jewish laws, book of Jewish laws, you don't start saying the words of prayer and expect a relationship with God. You're supposed to clear your mind from the thoughts of the world. You're supposed to bring and awaken within you tremendous sense of love, divine love and divine reverence until you feel the divine within you. And then you speak the words out as an expression of the light pulsating through your being. And, and the Bausman says, you channel that light into the words and thus elevating the words up to a higher vibrational frequency in, so that they will actually raise up and affect higher world, worlds. Even the Tanya talks about this, that, that mitzvahs have to be done with Av and Yira. They have to be done with love and awe. That means that the, the first point for all the spiritual practice is consciousness. And then from the higher elevated consciousness, the, the, the higher energetic frequency, then we do these acts and then they become transformative. But without the consciousness, what are we doing? We're doing empty, habitual road. It's called, our sages discuss this, the mitzvahs are nasha milamada, the mitzvahs that are done through habits, through habituation, without consciousness, and therefore they don't have a power. They don't, mm. right? So, what about the so train of thought though, of doing the mitzvah and then the feeling will come? I know, it doesn't work for has, me. It, but I'm just, how's it going no, for no, you, no. man? How's it going for you, man? <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Well, I, I, I believe it means that, I believe, let's get controversial, it's a highly overused statement. 
It's often said by rabbis, people say to them, I'm feeling no connection, nothing at all. Keep doing it, you'll feel it. So there, there are thousands of people that keep doing it, and they never felt it. And, and there's a thousand people that did it so much, it actually became traumatic until they left it. And I don't think they're wrong. I think that line means, you know, that's fake it till you make it. And there's a truth about fake it till you make it. Because sometimes something does take practice. And sometimes something does take discipline. Of course, we must practice. Of course, we must take discipline. But that's not the whole story. That's not the end game. Because if that was the end game, then the older you would get, the more mystical and trans transformed you would get, the higher ecstatic you get. We don't see that happening in the world. So it means all things being equal, that's one of the important things to hold in there and keep practicing. But you have to practice in a smart way, not work harder. You have to work smarter. And if you study all the texts that interest people like you and I, Mayor, then you'll see they all talk about consciousness as the first ground to conquer, right? When, when, when people come to one of the workshops we do on formal Jewish prayer, I say, I'm not going to teach you a, a word itself. According to the boring Jewish law, if you don't understand um, the, the daily formal Jewish prayer, it's better to say it in Hebrew, even if you don't understand it, than to say it in English and understand it. Don't always apply that, but it's a fascinating statement. What do you mean? Because prayer, you have to understand the words. So I say to people in this room, in the next three hours, I'm going to show you how to jump out of your body with the prayers you've been saying for the last 30 years of your life without teaching you any new explanation about what prayers or what the words mean. And all you do is you put them in higher consciousness before they pray. And then you say, just say one line of prayer and then they blow out of their body, right? Yeah. And that shows, as the Baal Shem Tov says, as the Shulchan Aruch says, consciousness was the most important part. And then when the mitzvahs are done from that place, then you see something truly electric. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're saying. If you teach consciousness to children, if you give them their mind, if you give them the heart, if you give that sense of greater self, if you give them the sense that Hashem is, a, is an experience, Right? That, that's what you're calling a Muna. Muna is the experience of Hashem. When I'm going through challenge, what does it mean? Have faith. Have faith. I don't have faith. I'm overwhelmed. I'm full of anxiety. This is really dark. It's not have faith. It's go to faith. Go to that. Close your eyes. Go to that higher state of awareness. Rabbi Nachman says we close our eyes so when we meditate, so we're not sucked into the illusion of this world. And we can begin to experience a higher world, a deeper place. When you give people that gift, and everything from that is is is, the, is on the next level. Everything from that is it makes sense and is elevated. That's wild. I wanna I I, I want to jump into this next question because it, it feels like you you're talking about how you're you're bringing people to this higher state of being and, and levels and like dual consciousness and like you mentioned how you went to Shiva and you and to Tanya and you said I I experienced this higher level of being and flying in the cosmos. Are you doing this without psychedelics? Are you doing it without any kind of plant medicine? Is this ayahuasca? Is this sassafras? What's going on? What's the... Um... <laughs> What's sassafras? Ayahuasca, exactly. I know. It is, uh, is that, is that a thing? Yeah, this plant medicine comes in many shapes and forms. Ayahuasca is perhaps, perhaps the most well-known. That um, I know the DMT. Teach me about sassafras. Wait, I know about oh, this Kabbalah stuff. What's sassafras, I, man? Educate me. Yes, why Lily? There's a bunch of fantastic, uh, incredible modalities that have been, and 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 I've and I've gone down the plant medicine uh, routes uh, once or twice, and 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 honestly, it was tremendous, tremendous healing that took place in that in that ceremony, um, and 
it was wild. And uh, yes, of course, there was an experience in meaning that did it change my life forever? No, like I have to battle. I have to like show up and work, do the work. What showed up in that was twofold. One of which it, it did bring a lot of enlightenment to certain past uh, uh, things I didn't understand, things that perhaps I forgot, I remembered. It made sense. Oh, this is what, oh, I felt so alone during these years. That's that's what the feeling was. And now I could like sort of mm. mourn or, or hold that young, you know, the, the child that was alone for like 15 years, you know, like cool, some healing, a lot of deep crying. But then also like certain things came up like, oh, I have to work. Like I realized I have certain challenges around certain character defects that keep coming up in my life. And a week later, after like, you know, the medicine stop, you know, sort of leaves the body. Okay, I fall back in some of these defects. I start making these mistakes again, but now I understand it's a lot more clearer. I'm like, oh, this is happening now. Let me go and do the work around this. So like, I found it to be a very positive experience. Um, I wonder what your thoughts are on that. And I mean, obviously don't hold back, even though I can just express how, how my experience was. But like, I'm curious to know, does that have a place in, in healing and growth in, in, in Jewish, in, in a Jewish, in the Jewish perspective of things? Uh, yeah. Okay, so plant medicine is its own podcast and we can do a whole session and talk about that. I've wanted to talk about that in depth. There's a lot to say. So keeping it down to the kind of like the, the uh, part two, we have part two with Rob. Bite side, okay, part two. Okay, sequels are never as good as the original, but we'll, we'll hopefully uh, break, break, break that mold here. So the McNugget size, you know, bite size response is, first of all, there's a lot of incredible things happening with psychedelics in our generation. There's a lot of incredible research done. It really seems to be, according to some areas of science and research, that the future of trauma therapy, um, of fighting depression, of all these kind of things. Once science puts its stamp on it, once again, we talked about before taking, you know, mindfulness out of Buddhism, extracting yes. a technique from the tradition. Um, so there's a lot of that work that's been happening. Ayahuasca, when people take it today, it's not, it's not just for most people about the plant and the DMT in the plant. Um, there's a culture, what you call the ceremony. And for a Jewish soul, there are a lot of problematic things in that ceremony. Um, I can tell you, I've spoken to one maestro that does this around the world, and he told me his teacher, who he learned this from in South America, has gone to the dark side, is sucking the energy out of his students when they're in ceremonies. Um, you know, the idea of mother ayahuasca knows best, all these kind of language that are used. There's a lot of problematic things in the ceremony. So the ceremony tradition are problematic and that's not what we should be. Let's talk about extracting the, me the medicine itself yes. and using that in a clinical environment. So let's explore that. So, you know, from a Torah perspective, it's a simple halakhic equation. If scientists and researchers, you know, do research and say this is effective, then it's absolutely fine and kosher in the sense of trauma therapy, healing as, as literal medicine for, for psychological disorder. That doesn't mean that Torah doesn't have other approaches that could achieve those goals with, with other techniques and meditations, etc. But from a, from, a, from a Torah halakhic strict perspective, if once science has validated that, it's not better or worse, it's extracted from the, the cultures it came from and some of the negative and energetic parts of those but cultures. There are, there are, it's no better than worse. There are Jewish ceremonies, so to speak. You're right. Correct. There are like the spots. Well, that, that, that's, a new, that's a new idea, right? So that's a new right. idea. So first of all, there are Jewish ceremonies. And, and the question is what that means. So some people try to have the supportive environment and try and bring in Jewish music or Jewish things, right? Now, I'll tell you something that really deeply prob tr troubles me with, with the dialogue that's happening in Jewish spheres. It's the, it's the retconning. Is that, is that English? Of, of Jewish tradition 
to say it was a psychedelic tradition. Psychedelic now meaning using plant medicines to create that. So there's a whole group of people out there saying the Baal Shem Tov was really smoking you know, psychedelic marijuana in his pipe. There's many traditions yeah, saying, opium, you know, all right. the, all the, yeah, they found in ancient Ju Jerusalem some psychedelic substance that a, a cassia tree has DMT. So that's a proof that the Kohen God was getting high, right? And that, that is, to put it nicely, to put it nicely, it's really far-fetched. Um, and it's, it's really delusional and, and problematic because it's, it's kind of like steamrolling one tradition over another tradition with no nuance or sensitivity, right? It, and what I often find is the people are speaking that voice are often people extremely, and I mean this respectfully, nice, nicely, nicely as possible, extremely ignorant about what the true Hasidic tradition was, extremely ignorant about Kabbalah. And, and they've had an incredible breakthrough spiritual experience using ayahuasca or any other LSD or whatever it is. And they're going, this is the line. Wow, if this creates that effect, that must be that that's what the Hasidic masters were doing. And that is just intellectually, academically wrong and dangerous and false. Because it doesn't say, you know, every, almost every one of these wisdom traditions like <clears throat> that had ayahuasca part of them have had thousands of years or hundreds of years of, of that ayahuasca being a part of the tradition, a part of the mythology, right? All the great spiritual masters that tradition learned it. Why don't you see that in our tradition? Because the rabbis buried it. The rabbis didn't bury things. And even in our tradition, when the rabbis tried to suppress Kabbalah, there's many other rabbis that were talking about trying to suppress the Kabbalah, right? So it's not repressed. We don't have the tradition of repression. And we actually have a unbelievable amount of sources and texts from every dimension, whether it's the Hasidic masters, the Sephardi masters, the Chazal, the Talmud, the Kabbalah, hidden Kabbalists, right? They all talk about how they achieve those high states. And none of them say it was through psychedelic medicine. They all talk about meditative practice. So the authentic Jewish tradition is not to use those elements to have high level spiritual experience. If those elements are used for, for medicine, for people's psychological disorders, and that's validated by science, that's a wonderful thing. So I mm -hmm. think the area that needs to explore it is there's a lot of people that use psychedelics today for spiritual awakening. Right. And I think that's so not healing, talking about right. mental two different things. Right, right. Mental healing. We're, we're making the distinction one, here, right? Right. It's, categ right. it's category. If you said science, if it's, this is another type of medicine that can help healing trauma. Amazing. Yes, cool. Bring it on. If you're talking Bring about, if you're, if you're saying like, if you're using the medicine or this plant medicine, so to speak, uh, as a way to just connect to a higher source, to God, to have a spiritual way. That's more problematic. Experience, then that's where you have more issue with. Because and that doesn't mean it can't be used. Because why? What would you say? You know, what I'm saying because because it's not necessarily uh, proven to be part of our tradition. It, it, it's it's and that being said, if that's okay, but is what's wrong about it? If it does give you a yeah. springboard to realize, okay, this is tangible. Let me go and now do the work through meditation. Um, but maybe you get so stuck here, here in that. We go. Scared of getting lost in that wormhole, of like going to the next, the next, the next. I, I want to pick up the question you asked, which is the million dollar question. So what? It wasn't part of our tradition. Who cares? It works. I blew out of my body. I saw God. I connected to the divine. What's right. wrong with that? And, and that's, that's a really important question. What's so I, 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 this, is what, this is what I have to say. First of all, there are many people that have a deep spiritual experience and they come back down and through that they take a path of spiritual seeking and spiritual integrity 
I've met people that through that revelation of God on ayahuasca, so to speak, they've actually become more religious and spiritually connected. So there's an individual that can use a spiritual awakening as an awakening, as a first step, and then have the integrity or the, you know, the, the, the willpower to take that into a path of development of maturity, responsibility, etc. I do not believe that's the majority, number one. So the first risk is ayahuasca connected to my source and I confuse the ends with the means and I become, I don't mean chemically addicted, but I mean culturally associated with the path of ayahuasca or the path of LSD or the path of um, MDMA, right? That becomes the religion. And there's no greater wisdom in that. And that can take people to chaotic places. One is majority of people confused with the ends of the beings. And they say, I, when, when I was exploring that world, you know, as a rabbi, as a teacher, so many people were like, ayahuasca will save the world. Ayahuasca is going to heal all the world's problems. And I believe that is dangerous and wrong, number one. Number two is strictly Kabbalistically speaking, and we've discussed this for 2,000 years, not you and me, it's been a long conversation, not that long, but the time Maybe our have, souls in a previous is, life. That, yeah, perhaps we have been discussing a long time. Um, is, is, and I've met many people. I can't say many. I've met tens of people who, Kabbalistically, what does it mean a drug? It means you're opening up yourself to a light, to a perception that your, your vessel themselves are not able to achieve. So what you're giving a person is a, a kind of booster shot to, a, to more light, to more perception where there's greater their vessel, and that shatters vessels. And I've spoken to multiple, and I have friends who did this growing up, and I've spoken to multiple people when I address this in classes. I'm not saying this is all people, but I think in the exciting new world of, of um, you know, psychedelic renaissance, everyone's a little too excited and not real of the risk. I've met multiple people that I had psychotic breakdowns who have dropped into trauma after the event that they've not been able to integrate, that have ruined their life for sometimes years because they opened themselves up to something that they couldn't close down. And that can mean negative energies, negative forces, shindalids, all those kind of things. And it can also just mean psychologically, they open up to a light and an influx that they can't turn off. And I've dealt with multiple people that have come to me seeking help, healing, or just told me their story. So part of the risk is you're giving someone something that they're not, the blessing of it, right, is that we're taken out of ourselves and an experience of something better and higher. And when that's used well, then I can then build the vessel, take the commitment and build the vessel. When it's not done well, I can, can become committed to the, the means as the ends, um, or I, it can fracture a person psychologically. And there's lots of people that happens to. And I don't believe that the line that people are saying, you know, when it's done in a clinical environment, there's no issues. Because once you democratize the spiritual experience, you're taking a degree of discipline and protection out of that. And there's challenges that come from that. And that has to be dealt with maturely. And then that brings up deeper spiritual questions about what happens when you democratize something, you give it to everybody without any sense of maturity, responsibility, emotional health, and, and how can that tip people over? It was still in very early days in this renaissance. And once totally. something like any company, once, once it kind of scales, that's when a lot of problems that were very subtle at the beginning become ex exacerbated. That word, uh, exacerbated is, is, is a better way to the, put it. And, and these are the risks at play. 
Right. I, I mean, there's also, would, would you say there's also a risk in meditation as well when you go ahead and you, you could tap into, let's say, a deeper meditation? And obviously, this is not something I struggle with at this moment, but where you sort of open, you go, you start flying, you start going higher than self, and you open yourself up to the same risks of another energy coming within yourself. Uh, and, and you could, you know, go beyond so the, your, you know, like you shouldn't learn Kabbalah until you're 40, so to speak, right? Like, aren't, aren't, aren't there also risks when you go about the that? The short answer is, Yes, absolutely, right? But it's the difference by saying, you know, if we give a gun to everybody in America, well, you know, it's a risk, right? But if I give a nuclear bomb to everybody in America, so, you know, that, that would be game over in a second. So, yes, that is a risk in meditation. Uh, the Torah sources talk about that that can happen. Um, I've seen it happen. People have come to me, they've been on meditation retreats and also had psychotic breakdowns, etc. And that people go over past and talk about that as it's a free, it's a it occurs in, in a decent percentage of the population that does it. But the but but it's a nuclear bomb. Psychedelics are a nuclear bomb because it's so extreme and it takes meditation takes some degree of mastery, some degree of discipline, some degree right. of training, some degree of emotional awareness, right? And and uh, and and the the psychedelics are literally blowing a person to the highest level with nothing but putting a pill in my mouth. And some people that do that can do that extremely irresponsible environments um, sure. without navigation. So what that you know and is close to that that did that and, and also came to, to me and said uh, that that destabilized that person for a while because of that. So it's it's a you know with great power comes a great responsibility. And the question is what is the power that Hashem wants this this thing to be used for in the world? And 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 Kabbalistically it's not clear that this is a great solution to mass spiritual awakening. I, I think mm. it's going to be much more volatile than people think. There, there's there's oh, definitely clear yes. to it and clear dangers. I definitely see how this deserves its own podcast, and and hopefully we'll have a chance to delve deeper into this 100. Um, before I would love to maybe end off this uh, this whole talk, and and there's so much more I want to talk with you about, Daniel. Oh, we didn't go into your we like can. personal. We um, we will. We will. I do want to uh, uh, your, your own personal journey as well, and it's fascinating as well as many other topics, but before we jump into a meditation to close this off, I did, I want to ask you, um, what would you tell your younger self who was on, who was searching, you know, 15, 20 years ago, what's something that you, a word of hope or advice that you're talking to yourself, perhaps you're also talking to the people who are listening that are on this journey. What, uh, what would you tell you? What, what would you tell yourself? There's so many younger versions of myself. I'm trying to choose one that I would speak to. You know, there's one that, that never knew there was a higher truth in the world. And then there's one that sensed the spiritual experience and tried to find that in different paths. And I would say, you know, the Torah path is awesome. And then there's the part of me that, you know, left my filmmaking career and, my, you know, the general spiritual seeking and came to Yeshiva because I was convinced that Torah had a higher truth to it and then got lost in, in that world of Yeshiva and religion and, and learned incredible wisdom and learned the wisdom of the Talmud and learned how to think in that way and, and learned halacha and, and incredible things, but then lost my soul somewhere in that and lost, you know, I realized I had Torah, but I had no connection with Hashem and struggled with how that would be. And and then, you know, there was that period of, of kind of, I guess technically you'd call it burning out. You know, there's one time I actually said to my wife, I was actually teaching Torah around the world at the time. I said, you know, I would go off the derech tomorrow I would leave Torah Judaism tomorrow, but I said, there's actually nothing I, I want 
to do in the world. I don't want sex. I want, don't want drugs. I don't want rock and roll. I don't want fame. I don't want money. The one thing I want is, you know, a supernatural connection to the divine. It's just after all these years, I don't know how to get that. And that's when I kind of regrouped and gave myself permission to do a deep dive into the experiential text. And that's when worlds open for me. So if I could go back through all those worlds, you know, I, when I sit with my children, I teach the meditation. I do a meditation with them each night, you know, and you wow. show them that the light is within them and the world is within them and they can release everything that they carried in their day. And if they regret something, they can acknowledge it and heal them, do tshuva, and they can feel that light and love. If I could just show, just give the gift of inner awareness and show that's, that is your tradition. That is the Jewish tradition, the Baal Shem Tov tradition, that we are children of prophets. And this was the true gift. If I could just give that gift to myself, imagine I could take my sickness or ailments when I was young and give myself the gift of that healing of that illumination. Um, you know, then, then that, that would take down the anxiety, the frustration, you know, then, then I could have come to Yeshiva and learned to, to learn the wisdom, but also trust myself and also realize that's not a contradiction. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I, I think you give a person that their heart and soul and you give them their destiny. So I think that that's the gift. What I try to give others is, you know, ideally, hopefully what I, what I wish I would have given myself. And Baruch Hashem, thank God you're in a place because I didn't have that and didn't know that. And you get to blow yourself up a thousand times. The, the, the gift of wisdom from experience is, is the ultimate gift you give your students in the world. Mm, beautiful. I know I said that was my last question, but there's one more because I know this was also asked by some people. You're who are I cheating. Met. Yes. I am. I am. But then again, I, I never, yeah, I break the rules that I created. Um, <laughs> what, what do you tell somebody? Because people have been asking, right? People also are asking when they heard that you were going to be on the podcast and they're looking, I guess, for some chizuk in, the, in regard of what this self-development world is so booming billions of dollars books coming out every month new books uh podcasts what do you tell to the person who's burnt out from the work of self-development of, of growth like i'm just burnt out i'm reading this i'm doing that i'm trying this trying that i'm just tired and yeah I'm, yeah that person well p people get burnt out when they're investing in energy that they're not getting returns on that's what burns us out if you did a meditation today and you blew out of your body and connected to the divine and did it tomorrow and blew out of your body and connected to the divine and do it the next day. You know, if, if you're in a relationship and every time you spend time together, you love each other and are joyful, you don't get burnt out from that, right? You just want more, okay? Um, we get burnt out when there's something that we want that we're not receiving. And the truth about the new age world and the truth about the self-development world is it's a corporate model, which means we're going to promise you something incredible. We're going to give you some more exercise and stuff and you'll have enough of a high that you'll enjoy it. It won't ultimately deliver because the technology is not really profound enough and deep enough to deliver. But then you've invested money, time, energy and hope in it. And therefore, you're still not there. So rather than going, it's a problem with them, you go, it's a problem with me and I have to take another course and I have to do another meditation technique. I have to get another app. I have to do another Tony Robbins program. I have to write. So we, we see it constantly as a problem in ourselves rather than a, a, a problem with the, the, the superficiality of the systems that we're using. Any, mm. any program, any secular program can say, you know, we're going to change your life in three weeks. We, we're going to do this. But they don't have to take responsibility that they will or that they can. They are excited about something that they have to offer. They pitch it to you and you do it. So that creates a lot of frustration, a lot of burnout. So, so the technology is not sophisticated enough. The wisdom is not sophisticated enough. The programs often aren't sophisticated enough. So what a person needs to do is come back to themselves. 
And a person has to ask themselves the most fundamental questions. What was my goal in going through all these things? What was I looking to achieve? What would be the litmus test that I had achieved it? What wisdom that I have, this was the wisdom sufficient? What was it lacking? You know, there's a, a lady that called me up for help yesterday. She said, I've tried. I said, have you ever done therapy? She has a lot of emotional intense stuff that's sabotaging her life. She says, I've tried every kind of therapy. I've done every course and program and nothing works. And she was saying that with tears and tremendous pain. So after going around in a circle with her for half an hour, I said, tell me which programs you've tried, and which therapies you've done. And she told me and she's done three things, three simple things. So this line that I've done everything in the world is no objective truth to it, but it's a feeling that I invested so much and I'm still stuck. Yeah. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again, and you'll still fail unless you do something different. So then I said to her, what is the main thing you were looking to work on? And the answer is she has fear of rejection. What did Landmark teach you? You know, what did kinesiology teach you? These are things she did. And what did EFT give you? What, what did talk therapy? Talk therapy usually gives someone almost nothing. So what did the three do? What, what do you think you would need to do, right? So if we bring ourselves back to just critical thinking and awareness, usually the burnout is, is comes from a deep feeling of there's something they're reaching for and they're starting to doubt whether they can get it and they've invested money and time. We have to replace that with hope. We have to replace that with a sense of possibility. We have to, I, when I, we teach hundreds of, of, of people on our teacher training courses, right? That that's what, what we're developing for the next year or two. And we've just finished our first cohort. Um, and one of the things I say, when a person comes to see you, you have to give them a breakthrough on a supernatural experience in the very first session, because you have to show them, give them hope that possibility is really there, that you're not going to be talking about stuff for eight months. You're not going to be building a relationship with them for two years. They have to know the possibility of change they have within. And when you remind a person their possibility, then it knocks them out of their feeling of being burnt out and frustrated. And yeah. then after the possibility, you have to give them a reasonable approach to show them how to integrate and maintain that possibility in their life. So most people who are at that point of frustration and burnout is because they're mindlessly going after hype, this program, this thing, they're investing money, time and energy, they're getting overexcited, the program under delivers, they don't blame the program, they blame themselves and they begin to go, is there hope? So they need more awareness of what their target is, more strategic and what program they're choosing to achieve that, what modality they're eating to do that, the guidance of how to take it step by step, and the litmus test of how will I know I've achieved my goal. And when a person's more reasonable, hope is possible because change really is possible. And then it's just about the blessing, like the blessing, like finding a soulmate. It's the blessing of finding the right guide, the right teacher to really give us the breakthrough that we've been yearning for. And when you sense that's possible again, and you see real change, then the burnout turns to hope and possibility. And that's, that's the path that guides us home. Mm, love that. Thank you. Um, to tie it all together, what, Rev. Danielle, what, what can we end off? It's like a, a, a 10 minute. Is that too short? I know you do 30 plus minutes. Is, or, is there a meditation that um, someone could tap? We could tap in right now. Someone's driving, they're running, they're on the subway, they're at home. We could just. Let's, uh, let's do. We're going to make something up right now. Okay. We're going to do something right now. So I'm going to have to ask you some questions. You're, you're my guinea pig. Oh, it's a okay. terribly insulting thing to talk a, a major influence and big soul like yours. But today you're playing the role of a guinea pig. So man, let, let's do 
let's let's do this as an interesting experiment. Okay. Think Hold of a moment second. in your life. Sorry, sorry yeah. to interrupt. Yeah. Hold on one second. Sounds about the door, which is surprising. Hello. That's fine. I thought you were gonna go play one the bumper drums for a second. Hey. Yeah, he's left. Yeah, I'm just staying here for a day. It's okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Fine. I'm just more filming something. So can you come back in 50 minutes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Sorry about that. I'm with you. Let's try a little exercise to open up a little light in our in our heart space. Think of a moment in your life where you felt tremendous love. Think of a moment in your life you felt tremendous love. Tell me when you've got it. It has to be a specific moment in time and place. Not, yeah, there's lots of moments I felt love, thank God. No, you have to choose one where you really felt, it could be a, a divine thing, it could be a person you're with, a parent, a, a partner, a moment when you just felt deep love. They loved you or you loved them. Either one is fine. Let me know when you've got it. Oh. Anything coming? Wow, it's, it's it's taking a little longer than expected. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not sure, I'm not sure how good how good a video this is going to be for the audience. Shall I give it over to non-personal way? And you and I can do the deep work another day. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um, I got it. I okay. Um, have, have you got one? Got I got one. You have. I got a spot. Yeah. Great. I got a place. Number one. Okay. Number two is. I want you to close your eyes right now. I want you to uncrush your arms and your legs. And I want you to just play that moment in space and time like a little movie. You're a filmmaker. You know how this works. Find your opening shot. And I want you to watch that moment. Was it day or night, this scene? Were you inside or outside? Who were you with? Other people? Were you alone? Is this focused on another person, younger or older? A man or a woman? Is it focused on something you did in the world or coming from Hashem, the infinite source? And I want you to play through that moment and rewind and play. And rewind and play. And just enjoy that moment of love. I want you to focus on your senses. What can you see there? Look around in that scene in that moment. What colors were there? What sounds were there? Listen to the different sounds in that place, that space, and that scene. What can you smell? What can you taste? What can you touch with your senses? Now rewind and find the most powerful moment in that scene where the love was most potent, when the love really hit your mind and your heart. Tell me when you've got it. Wonderful. Now I want you to think of another moment right now in your life when you had tremendous joy of celebration, joy, gratitude. Celebration, joy, or gratitude. Tell me when you've got it, Mayor. 
Got, Got it. it. Wonderful. Play the same game. Be a movie maker right now, all of you. Find the scene. Was it day or night? Was it inside and outside? Who was there? What happened in the day before, the hour before, the three minutes before, building up to that scene? Remember the experience, experience the experience, feel that joy, the gratitude. What was the thing that triggered it? See the details, the colors, the sights. Allow your body to relax as you're doing this, your shoulders to relax while doing this, your arms and hands and legs and feet to relax. And just rewind and play that moment of joy, of celebration, of gratitude. Wonderful. Go back to the experience of love right now. Just rewatch the love scene right now. A couple of times. Allowing yourself to feel what you're seeing and experiencing again. Now go to the joy, celebration, gratitude scene. Rewind that. Play that. Rewind and play, rewind and play. Now I want you to find a third scene, a moment of tremendous reverence, yira ila'a, tremendous awe and reverence. You ever been out of the desert and looked up and there's a hundred trillion stars in the sky and you're just like, wow. You've been in nature somewhere where you're standing on a, an epic mountain sunrise and you just felt so small and humble for something extraordinary. Find a moment like that. Choose a clear, specific memory. Tell me when you got it, Mayor. Wonderful. Rewind and play, rewind and play. The details, the senses, the sights and sounds, who was there? What did you look at specifically that triggered that? Feel that reverence, feel that awe, feel that humility. It's a kind of a fear that you're belittled before something greater, but not a, a dark version of that. It's a positive version of that. It's a wow. Look how infinite the world is and how humble I am before it. Bitterliesh. Be wind and play it and fill in the details. Wonderful. Go back to the first experience of love right now. Be wind and play that experience love. Go to the second experience right now of joy and celebration. Rewind and play. Go to the third experience of reverence, yira, awe, tremendous awe, A-W-E. Let's do one more right now. I want you to think of holiness, transcendence. Think of a moment in your life, if it was a meditation, it was on drugs, it was in a holy place somewhere on the highest day of the year, when you felt transcendence, tremendous light, energy, you blasted out of your body, you felt one with reality, all these feelings of kedusha, of holiness, of sanctification, of, of elevation. Rewind and play, what happened? <laughs> 
you dropped the acid tablet, you stepped in front of the Holy of Holies, you were in Uman, in uh, for Rosh Hashanah, you were in a group meditation setting. You had that breakthrough moment. What was it like to feel at one with everything, that drop into the ocean, becoming one with the ocean, that feeling of infinite light connection of it running through my body or transcending my body into something a self beyond self rewind and play rewind and play what did it feel like what was that awareness like of expansiveness of transcending space and time lamalamin is man lamalamin amakam the feeling of infinite wisdom infinite light infinite connection infinite truth infinite knowing of escape of all the lower traps and and habits of life and being connected to something infinitely more of the pleasure that comes with that wonderful go back to the experience of love right now awaken that know that watch the details listen to the sounds watch the film relax your shoulders your torso your arms and your legs keep going on love and I want every 10 seconds you to jump from one theme to another by yourself. So you'd be in love right now. Do that now. Now go to joy, celebration for 10 seconds now. Now go to awe and reverence, humility. Now to go to holiness, transcendence, elevation. I just want to create a psychic bond right now between you and me and everybody doing this meditation, even if they're doing it at other times. I want you to choose and believe right now you're connected to the elevating consciousness of everyone doing this meditation outside space and time. We're creating a, a group consciousness called his Kashris that holds the space for us all. So just choose to connect to the highest part of the soul of everybody who does this meditation now or in the future, in the past. And the kind of three, choose and believe we're all connected together. And at that moment, we'll give and receive the light from each other to elevate us all. One, two, three, choose and believe we're all connected now. Go back to love. Go to joy and celebration. Go to reverence and humility and awe. Go to holiness, sanctity, transcendence. And go back to love. I want you to start moving through them faster at your own pace. Move from one to another joy celebration at your own pace move through them round and around reverence and awe holiness transcendence supernatural go back to love right now as you're experiencing love i want you to realize a deep deep truth my friends that moment was created for you by the divine. It wasn't just a coincidence. It wasn't just a person. It was created from the beginning of time to give you an experience and a reference point to love. And it was really a gift of the infinite love of Hashem. 
being mislavished, being expressed through reality so your heart would know the truth of the gift of love. I want you to see light turning on in that scene. I want you to see it becoming translucent and transparent. That divine light was flooding that person, flooding that moment, that Hashem had conspired to bring that moment of love to you so you would know it was all Hashem's love. And I want you to see the light turn on in that scene. Everything becomes more and more illuminated, like you're turning up the brightness on the shot and becomes illuminated. And just move your consciousness, the awareness that that moment was a gift, really of Hashem's love to you. And it expands to a much greater sense of love, a much more infinite, expansive sense of love, a much more ever-expanding sense of love, infinitely behind it turning on. And I want you to move to the second theme right now of joy and celebration. Whatever you thought caused that joy of celebration, that whole situation was a conspiracy of the divine. So that you would feel joy. You would feel simcha. It's tremendous simcha. I want you to see, turn the volume of brightness up. I want you to see that that person or the situation, whatever appeared to cause it was really created by Hashem that he would implant in your heart a, a deepest, deepest knowing of joy, of celebration, of the infinite potential. And as it becomes brighter and brighter for you now, I want your heart to expand into infinite joy, infinite celebration, way beyond yourself, way greater than yourself, divine joy, divine celebration. Allow that to expand and expand. And moving to the third theme, reverence. All those stars, all those mountains, were put before you in that moment. You were brought to that place to have divine awe. Think how much awe you would have before a billion, trillion, gazillion angels, a billion, trillion, gazillion worlds and higher worlds and greater light and greater light before the awe and self, an infinite expansive light. And we are humbled, infinitely humbled before something extraordinary. Allow that scene of reverence to melt away and reveal a much greater reverence behind it. And finally, that moment of holiness that was given to you by Hashem, that you would know that there's something greater than our ego consciousness, than our limited life experience, that you would know that and imagine infinite transcendence and a greater transcendence and feel gratitude that Hashem was taking down the walls of ego opening up the doors of perception more and more, more and more. And imagine how far that could go. Experience how high that would go on and allow it to the infinite, the Sulem Yaakov, higher and higher. All of human consciousness ascending higher and higher to infinite knowing, infinite light, infinite love, infinite goodness. And go back to the infinite love reference the physical experience and the infinite love that comes from it and go back to the infinite joy the physical experience of the joy and the expanded experience of joy and celebration move to the infinite reverence i want you to go around all four right now keep moving at your own pace right now one and then the next and then the next at your own time And now awaken to the truth that all four of them are four different rivers really flowing from one, one source. I want you to feel now a light above your head. 
light of your infinite divine soul. And in that light, there's infinite love, there's infinite joy, there's infinite reverence and awe. And it's the door to infinite transcendence. Would you let all four fall away? Until there's just a light of a unified light of Ava, Yira, Simcha, Devekas. Ava, Yira, Simcha, Devekas. Even if you don't know those words, just connect to the energy. Ava, Yira, Simcha, Devekas. Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey. Divine name. Let your mind quieten down now. There's no thoughts to think. There's no work to do. Take 10 seconds to abide in that place, whether it's greater, more or less, and just enjoy the pleasure of it. Share that light right now with anyone else doing this meditation before us or after us in space and time. Share that light with anyone that needs it in your home, in your community, in your country, in your world. Shine that beyond you. Take a final moment for your own prayers, for your own processing, in your own time. Wonderful. And when you're ready, number four, wiggle your fingers, give yourself permission to come back to your body. When you're ready and not before, you'll open your eyes. Beautiful. How was that for you, Maya? That was, I felt very much in my body, which was really nice. More, less in my head, which was really uh, different, I would say, from a lot of the types of um, meditation I've done in the past. Um, very warm sensation of remembrance. Um, I did those into different thought trails, but the guidance was very helpful in the sense of reminding of coming back into the flow. So that was, it felt easier to fall back into that. Um, something you said you sort of pulled it right now out of, uh, just putting it together. What where were you pulling from? Like what were you, you sort of made something new, but what were the, the were the specific meditations that or or goal oriented type of meditations that you're like, let's get this done sure. through this thing. There's different techniques that we teach in Elevation that we've called from all different parts of our tradition. One is called Vikas Amatshava, which is that you have much better concentration and, and can channel the monkey mind by moving in eight to 10 second intervals from one subject to another in a circle. So you take a person with ADHD that can't concentrate and when you make a map of how to do that, suddenly their mind locks in, their heart locks mm. in and they knock themselves into a flow state very fast. So that's number one. So I use that technique in a way to trigger Devakis, divine connection experience, by awakening positive, holy emotions, and by using Rikishamakshava to create an emotional state, an embodied state, and then ricocheting past that to a transcendent state. 
because that, that's the path that Hasidic masters teach. So maybe I would love to hear people watching this video, wherever they're watching or listening to the podcast, if they can share experiences that they had then. I think you'll find a lot of people were surprised at the ability to, to concentrate and connect more than a, a mindfulness meditation traditionally, but then it opened up to a very deep place at the end. And some people really will probably pop out of their body into a deeper state then. Um, and so I, I combined a few things together just to do a very fast and simple guided meditation to open up a deeper state. Whoa, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And yes, uh, anybody who's listening, where can they go ahead and, and find more of the work that you're up to and more of your teachings and, and find some guidance and learn more about elevation, of course. Sure. Well, I mean, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and all these things. Most of my social media time gets spent on Facebook, but we have the Elevation Project, which the goal is to take these teachings and to systemize them and make them accessible for everyone around the world, religious, secular, Jew, non-Jew. This is the world's heritage and we're excited to be a light to everybody. So we teach seminars and retreats. We have an incredible comprehensive online program where you can learn all these ideas with an online community. Thousands of people have gone through that. Um, it's called the Elevation Mastery Program. So the general website is elevationproject.com. And if you want to come learn with me today online as part of the group, and there's incredible classes and videos and live interactions and source sheets, you can check out elevationmastery.com. Elevationmastery.com. You come learn with us today. We'll have all those links in the show notes, of course. Rabbi Daniel Katz, thank you very, very much for making the time and for sharing your knowledge and wisdom with me and for everybody who's listening today. It was really remarkable. It's, it's awesome. I'm enjoying talking with you and jamming with you. And I, I am so much Thanks. appreciative of what you're bringing to the world. And it's interesting, the struggles that you have in your own journey, you've become a light and inspiration to so many. And Hashem knows what he's doing. And it's, it's, a, it's a joy for me to meet a soul like yours. Thank you for all you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And cut. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. Thank you, Rob Daniel, for making the time and sharing your insight and wisdom with us today. Uh, big shout out to seeingmazeltub.com, the platform where you can reach out to your favorite creators in the Jewish world to make personal messages for your favorite people in your life. And of course, a big shout out to dailygiving.org, uh, a platform where you could donate $1 a day to support various charities that are doing holy work in this world. Until next time, stay positive, be happy. I'm Mayor Kay and have a great day.